I'd like to ask you why this is the way you chose to handle it and ask it with real curiosity and you make them think and they might not have a great answer for you, but you're going to cause a thought process. You may change a heart for the next 40 years. You know, how many, how many patients will you affect by being able to walk in and just be curious, you know, a spirit of kindness and curiosity as opposed to self-righteousness. Hello, I am Joel Ingram, and this is Crisis to Crushing It podcast. Let's dive into this week's talk, and I'll help to increase perspective, expand perception, and allow you to change your reality. Enjoy the show. Jason. I'm a face up there. How you doing, man? <laughs> I'm good, man. I, I love your image on your, uh, on your Zoom account. <laughs> I, i'm probably gonna have to change that eventually because i i actually talked with a gal yesterday who who i'm gonna interview next week i think when i was walking her through how to use zoom real quick i when it pops up it pops up with that image so i had to do a quick explanation i'm like yeah i know it looks like like mass murderers contact like i'm threatening you <laughs> <laughs> it just makes it makes me smile i like it <laughs> <laughs> You know, the other great irony is, you know, most of us have a cluttered desk, right? Unless you're a psychopath and actually clean it. But, you know, if you look at my desk, like, this is what's laying on my desk. Like, <laughs> like I think kit. it's bigger than my head, right? <laughs> but, yeah, that's what I kept laying around me. So that's what I end up with pictures of. <laughs> it's always good. It's always good. So you keep it anyway. Oh, doing well. How about yourself, man? We're doing much better this week without the snow. Oh, you've had a you've had a bad you? Well, last week when I tried to get a hold of you, or when I was trying to get a hold of you, we got caught in a snowstorm. Oh man, like it wasn't that bad, really. Like I've got a I've got a what is it? It's an O2, I think. So it's like a a seventeen year old navigator, right? So Beast. like it was super cheap. You buy it with cash, but but it's it's an amazing car. It'll go anywhere. <laughs> It go absolutely anywhere, and the people like sitting in the middle of the interstate in their in their Corvettes and 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 Camaros spinning tires because they can't go up the hill. Were driving me crazy. I was I'm tempted to just like pull up and go bump. There you go. That's what you needed. <laughs> Start them off. Yeah, just give them a little bit of a push. Just keep going, bud. But yeah, it was it was crazy that last week the weather was just something else. So uh, there was a little bit of ice underneath it all, and that was a big issue. But yeah, so it's it's actually warmed up. You can walk outside in a t-shirt today. I mean, it's not warm, but but it's that, melting off, and it's like fifty degrees or something. Is that normal? Uh, the temperatures we get normal is a difficult thing. We we have a lot of variance on our temperatures. You know, it'll be fifteen degrees one day this week at night, and during the day at some point it might hit fifty-five or sixty. Holy you know, holy. yeah. Give it another month or two, and, and the next couple of months will be brutal cold, most likely. But all through November and December, we're usually just just a roller coaster, you know. You just never know what you're going to get. So, what, what state are you in then? I'm in Missouri. Missouri. Okay. Yeah, actually, you know Larry Hagner, right? Yeah. He is about 20 miles that direction. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, cool, I'm just just west of St. Louis by about an hour. Cool. Okay. So, anyway, how's the podcast going? It's been a ride. <laughs> it's been a ride. Yeah, yeah, it's been going really good actually. Uh, yeah, I got my first piece of hate mail today. Um, oh, yeah, that's the result. Yeah, yeah, it was from my mom. 
<laughs> I guess I should laugh about it, but I guess she'd heard something that I that I'd said, you know, because I I'm very open and honest about like my my upbringing and some of the things like the religion we grew up in, and I'll tell you, it was like if it wasn't a cult, it was about that far away. You okay. know, it was right there, right? And she still goes to that church, and she took some offense to that, and apparently a couple other things. And I got a long, nasty text this morning. I'm like, oh man, <laughs> I better answer this and 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 answer the the parts that need to be answered here. You know, so tried to reassure her. I wasn't trying to bash anybody. I'm just like I'm open and honest about things. Like a lot of my childhood was was good. Mm-hmm. You know, a lot of my childhood really was, but. I, I suffered through some depression and, and at that time, I mean, not like pointing fingers at anybody, like you didn't get me died. Like I didn't diagnose depression unless you were like attempted suicide more than three or four times. Right. Hmm. You know, it's like, it wasn't a, it wasn't a thing that was taken care of back then. So like I had some dark stuff and, and going through the, the, the whole, you know, really conservative cultish type church that we grew up in that had some, some effects on me and I'm open and honest about all of it. And, um, I, I I don't think she liked to hear that, you know, and I could see that, you know, she kind of felt like we were, like I was trying to, trying to talk bad about her and and, and my dad. And I'm like, no, not that at all. You know, it just, just a part of my story. You know, look at it good or bad, however you want to, because I wouldn't be who I am today without it. Yeah. It's uh, I can resonate with that completely because I've, I've said, my, my mother doesn't know what I've said on the podcast, but, but my mother, uh, as nurturing as, as, as she was, she probably did it to a point that it was probably detrimental with the way that yeah. I stru- structured my reality. Do you know what I mean? Cause then, then it's a case of, I can only be this, like she was a, a giver, uh, a caregiver. And she, you know, for me, she was like just one of those people in the community that just helps everybody mm-hmm. to, to her own detriment. Do you know what I mean? She'd be on a really ill and she'd still be going out to serve others. Yep. So there, there comes a point where for, for me as well, what I was trying to, do things with my family and then when I worked with Larry on the mastermind it was like holy crap I need to take care of my own shit first before I can put back into this cup because I'm absolutely I'm, I'm emptying my cup and my cup's not full so and then I'm, I'm drawing for my natural resources in. yeah you know but the, she, she there's no way on earth would she ever understand that no way yeah you know Fill others' cup from your saucer, not from your cup. You know, let let what runs over f- feed into everybody else. Yeah, exactly. And then, yeah. then your supply is uh, almost never ending. You know, that's 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 kind of the way I see it working. But yeah, yeah but you know, and I think one of the things that she'd said in there was, you know, I hope your kids never, you know, do this blah, blah, to you. And that, that uh, what was just something like, I hope your kids never do this to you. And, and you know, and I'm like, you know, honestly, I hope my kids see the mistakes I make, right? Like, like nobody knows those answers better than my kids, right? They, mm. They're the ones who get to see all the nasty pieces of me. And I hope they learn from it. Yeah, I, that's, you know? I can't fault you, man, because that's the way I'm trying to live. I mean, my, my father was uh, old school, so he never did anything wrong. <laughs> he, might, he might have known that he did something wrong, but there was never the acknowledgement that he had, oh, crap, that was, don't do it like that. Do it like this, do you know what I mean? I thought it was wrong one, but I was mistaken. That's what my dad used to always say. <laughs> yeah, my dad got one similar. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, it's I recognize some of the some of the 
what I see as faults in, in some of the things that, that I had grown up. But I mean, they did the best they could with what they had. You know, they didn't have these online communities. They didn't have such easy access to all this information and people who know so much more than, than I do or they did at the time. And, you know, like we're blessed to be in, in a society where we can just reach out and find answers and find people who can give us not just answers, but help us see and learn our own answers. And, and like, we have this amazing thing that they didn't have back then. So, you know, of course I need to look at my childhood and say, Hey man, like there was some things there that I think maybe need to be tweaked a little bit and then learn how to do that better for my kids. And my God, if they don't do the same thing and do better than I do, I will be mad at them. Mm. Like yeah. if you can't see my mess as close as you are to me and you can't see my mess and, and be insistent on doing better, man, you're not trying. It's not that hard to be better than me, right? Like, like my, my faults are glaring to my kids. Yeah. It's, it's be, they're lucky to be in a position with somebody that's willing to, sh to allow that to shine. So I mean, cause like I say, from my own experience, I remember thinking when I got when I'm older and I've got a kid, I'm not going to do this and I'm not going to do that. There's certain things my dad did with me, I did with my first, and it didn't. What I thought was needed turned out to be the worst thing I could have done. You know, that's the advantage of having seven kids. Is with every every new group of kids you have, you're like, oh man, I screwed that up. Let's do better this time. Like I. I'm really kind of sort of on round three, like like our oldest three were kind of in the same group. And then we have two of them right now who are 12 and 14. Like I'm learning just loads about teens and preteens there right now. Like I've done that so much better for them than I have for the, for the older kids, right? Hmm. Now, they wouldn't agree that they've got it better. They will no. tell you they do not. <laughs> but, you know, I've learned so much. And I have a four and a six-year-old. That like all the lessons I learned either the first set, the second set, by the time the little ones get there, they're going to have like, we'll be dang near expert level. Like yeah, it, it's, the teen years will be enjoyable just to breeze. I love it, man. I love that positivity. That's awesome. It's, it might be a little bit of delusion too. You know, teen years are never that easy. <laughs> I don't care what you do. The kid's got to struggle through it. But, but yeah, I mean, it's, it's that, that idea that I have to constantly learn. It, it, as long as I'm making mistakes, I got, I got something to learn from. Cool, man. I mean, so just to give the, the readers, the readers, the listeners a little bit of background, you've been on before. I think the last time you, you come on, you was touching on your, uh, your passion for uh, forging and, and your family. And I said, that's what, for me, was probably the, the overriding factor was this, what you bring in to your family it, with regards to helping people like Turtle. And, and he is a legend, dude. I, I mean, I listened to episode one of your podcast. <laughs> Man, what a, what, a, what a smart little cookie. I mean, very, cool, very, very cool. I've never heard him say the word complicated before that day. <laughs> And when he looks at me and just so seriously says, that's a good question. It's complicated. <laughs> I was like, what? <laughs> yeah, you threw you a curveball. <laughs> but my wife about, about fell over when she heard it too. I was like, that was perfect, right? Like, but yeah, it's amazing. You see like the life come out of those, these little guys and, and he just surprised you sometimes. It's beautiful. I mean, so... Let's let's dig in, man. I mean, I, the reason I asked you on is because I want to understand a little bit more about the podcast, the purpose. You know, where do you see it going? 
What's the intention? Just t tell us, tell us what triggered all this for you. Allergies. I've lost sound. I must have hit the button on accident there. Nice. My cord was on the mouse pad. Okay. Um, but no, there's a guy in the Alliance group, and um, I don't know if you're familiar with Ryan Case or not. But uh, another name. Okay. Um, I was talking to Ryan, and I think I've started to lose track of where I was going with that. Uh, what was your question again, just so I can answer it a little bit more accurately? No, so it was just around the podcast. You know, what's what's what caused it to come into being? What's the purpose? What's your intent for it? Where do you see ah, it? Ah, that's right. Okay, I know where we're going. Um, I was talking with with Ryan Case, and and he deals in in um, with a lot of industry and things. And we were talking, and he was talking about how you know Detroit's not building any new motors right now, right? Not, no gasoline motors. They're pushing towards electric. And you know, I I, I work in the gas and oil world. And that cars are going to have to be fed for a while, for you know, for at least another twenty years or so. But like, there's a good possibility I may need to find a different industry to be in. And the job I have, I don't, I, I enjoy the job; it pays well, but it's not meaningful in any way. And so, my question to myself that I sat and wrestled with, um, there's a midwestern word, wrestled. Wrestled. <laughs> I like it. Uh, yeah, I wrestled with the question, you know, well, what does have meaning? You know, what, where could I find something to do that I could eventually figure out how to support my family that does have meaning? You know, what are the things in my life that, that are meaningful? And one of the things that I, and it probably comes from watching my dad having mentored a couple guys that today I still am connected with and seeing the power of that mentorship of the younger generation um, <clears throat> that I look at and go, you know, this foster thing, right? Like it's, it's in general, like people would generally agree that taking care of kids who need help is a good thing, but you know, like there's some real meaning in there. Some of the things that we've seen, some of the turnarounds we've seen, some of the situations we've seen kids come out of, you know, there's, this is a genuinely meaningful thing for me. So what could I do to support that? And that turns into a place where I can, I, I can, you know, create some sort of income out of it that's awesome if not and it turns out to be a free podcast that's great too but this is a one way i found that i can i can speak to people and and really tell some of these these real personal stories you know and and hand that perspective to people that you don't really get when you hear most stories about foster care, because if you get online and type in foster care into Google, a couple of things that type, that come up with, there's apparently a topic out there. I don't know if it's an article, but, or what it was, but foster care will wreck you is one of the things that auto populates into the Google search bar. And I'm like, wait a second, what, you know, another one is failed foster stories, you okay. know, and because we're in a sensational world, people like the sensational story better, but, but like, I don't have a lot of those horrible stories about it. I have, I actually wrote a blog post called foster care will wreck you kind of, kind of looking at the other side of it, you know, the pieces of you that it will wreck, you know, your ability to, to get angry at things that don't really matter in the big scheme of things, you know, the, the, the way it will wreck so many parts of your, your perception of your life and show you things that, beauty in life that's really there and you know so that's something that that 
people just don't see that side of it very often. And I'd love to be able to reach out and help some foster families because, you know, we're, I'm, we're not always as good at our, our first, our stated first goal as, as we're supposed to be, right? Because the first goal in foster care here in the U.S. is reunification, right? Get the parent healthy enough to get the kid back and ha have them have a functioning household. That's like the number one prime directive. That's the best thing you can do. And it really is the best thing you can do. I've known enough of these kids to know the importance of getting a family back together, having a kid who believes his mom or dad loves him enough to take care of him or her and put their craziness away, the drugs, the whatever it is, and take care of them because that builds something in a child to know that their, their biological parents care that much about them. That's an integral part of the human being. I don't know how you, how you can prove that scientifically, but just through anecdotal case studies in my world, I can say I've seen that. I've watched it. I've lived it. I know it's a real thing. So our first stated goal is supposed to be to reunify. You know, so we need to support these foster families who are taking care of kids, but we and you know take care of the help. Yeah, help support take care of the kids, but we also need to help support the bio families. You know who maybe is in the middle of an addiction issue. Is there a way that you can help them get their stuff together, get back on the straight and narrow? No, it's not going to be a hundred percent success rate. If you hit 50, you'd be a wild success, you know, but I just interviewed a woman a couple of weeks ago. The, the podcast hasn't come out yet, but she was in the middle of a meth addiction, a real bad meth addiction. And when the cops kicked her door in and, Put the, held them all at gunpoint. Um, they went on to search the house and found, I don't know, I'm guessing street value here. I don't really know it, but it's somewhere roughly in the room of $10,000 worth of meth in the house. Yeah. And, and she will straight up admit that it, she was, she was dealing, you know, she was a full blown decent sized dealer, right? She had, you know, she had 10 grand worth of meth in her coat pocket and that threw her on a journey where they, you know, they took her kids. And she said, oh, my gosh, it's time to do something different. And she's one of the few stories I've heard where somebody actually got about the business of changing their life for their kids. And, you know, where the first part of it's kind of a scary story. I mean, she told her whole story pretty open and honest and didn't really – if she was pulling any punches, it wasn't to make herself look good because, you know, she tells the whole true story in there that I know. And – she got her stuff together. She got clean. She's been clean for two years. Her husband's and is doing jail time over the whole deal. And she has her kids back and she's changed her life. She has two jobs. She's working. She's raising a family. She's like, it's a success story to the extreme. And you don't hear these success stories very often. I think so many people, once they get past it, they just want to stuff that in their past and not talk about it and leave it back there where nobody can ever see it. But the power of that story is that somebody else can see that struggle and say, hey, I am where you were. And they can hear that story. And they can feel, I can get where you are. And that's just, a, just such a powerful thing to be able to give the possibility to succeed to a bio family who otherwise may have just given up with the can't win, don't try methodology. Yeah. And yeah, that, that's, that's, so we're, we're kind of looking at both sides of that you know, taking care of the bio families, you know, as much as we can support them and maybe even creating a support group. I, I have a lot of ideas around that. I don't know what it's going to turn out to be at this point. 
Um, but taking, helping them and, and also helping the kids, you know, get through that tough time. That's, that's a tough time. It's, you know? um, I think you're providing a good resource. I mean, with the stories alone will allow, um, like you see, it's going to give people pause for thought where they can actually think, well, hang on a minute. If, if, if they did it, why can't I do it? You know, and, and just to check themselves and, and know that. See, this is, this is the value in vulnerability and people's like sometimes class it as a, as a, as a weakness vulnerability. But I think if you can openly share your, you know, your weaknesses and your vulnerabilities, that's, that then turns into a superpower because you're then helping others from something you've learned. And when we cram it down inside, it never sees a light. Yeah, it's, it's a way to, to take something that's horrible in your life and redeem that value. Nice. You know, because, man, I, I've had my fair share of dark times, right? And I can either hide that and stuff it down and never deal with it, or I can admit it and tell the story and hope that in my retelling, I can redeem my own pain and struggle by helping somebody else through theirs. Absolutely. I mean, and if that's, the, if that's the, the cause for the podcast, you're off to a terrific start. I mean, I've only listened to uh, one and I'm starting the second one, but it's a good start to your little, uh, your little man, you know, <laughs> and he's so confident as well when he, when he talks, there's no, there's no fear. No. You know? and that's cool. That boy has no fear. Actually, um, a few podcasts later, we started airing his story, his full story. It's, I think, six episodes long. The first three or four are out now. And like he has reason not to not have fear. That boy's grown up on the streets. His first year of life was spent in a um, rough part of town, right? I mean, everybody knows where Ferguson is, right? You're in the UK, and you know you've heard of Ferguson. Yeah. Okay. Ferguson is a much nicer part of town than where he grew up. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he, he was he was on the he, he was on a part of town that was just man, it was dangerous. I I know those neighborhoods down there, and it's there's a lot of danger down there. And he grew up, some of the times they were homeless, some of the times they didn't have food, um, you know, and, and I can't prove all the stories that I've heard, but, uh, you know, mom was, I know mom was clicked up with a group down there. Um, his first baby blanket actually is a gang flag. That's, that's what he came home with, or came to our house with, was this baby blanket. His grandma had done a beautiful job of putting it together. I mean, she put it together. It was like a quilt. I think it was an older gal, and I'm certain she didn't know what it was. But she put put this beautiful little quilt together. He still drags this thing around to this day. This little whoop whoop. It's a gang flag. <laughs> that's what it is. I'm like, holy crap. But that's the world he grew up in, right? Like most of the men he met in his first year life were either pimps, johns, dealers, thugs. Like those are the pe- that's who he was around. So I'm not surprised that today he doesn't have much fear. You know, he, he has a wonderful, because out of that darkness, one of the gifts he got was discernment. Because if we're standing in a public place and somebody hits me as wrong and I don't, I feel like, man, there's something about, about that dude. Something was weird. I watch his reaction. My wife's learned to do the same thing. He reads people with a skill of, of a trained law enforcement officer, right? And he's six. Like he can read you. He knows what you're doing. He knows if you mean good or bad. 
because of where he comes from. So he, he's got a real deep backstory and, and it's really powerful to just be able to know that, that where he comes from, you know, where it's dark and scary, that's, man, that's going to turn around and be one of his superpowers in life. And it's given him so much confidence. We, we were a little bit nervous about when he went to, he just started kindergarten this year. We were a little bit nervous about that. And, the, and we talked with this teacher beforehand and just said, hey, here's some of the darkness he comes out of. If you see like developmental delays, education issues, whatever. Yeah, if you see something weird, talk to us. You know, we're more than willing to, to try and see what we can do to make it the best situation for everybody. And so far, she's just like, he's a joy to have in class. That's awesome. Yeah. So, I mean, you see these things. I mean, you, you see the darkness. You see this kid's done more drugs than most people you've ever met, right? We saw that in, in the drug test um, when he first came into care. And, like, the effects seem to be zero. But he's been through so much to see how he's he's come out not only on what we would call a developmentally appropriate uh, – yeah, say that again – a developmentally appropriate level, but he's – I would say he's above his developmental level in a lot of ways. I think part of it is just in response to the stress, in response to the troubles. So, you know, that's, that's what I mean by finding, you know, finding that the light in the dark room. You know, he's got lots of dark around him, but I just, I find those pieces of him that seem to be, find the pieces that seem to be, powerful enough to bring success out of a struggle and i light up that piece that could be success as much as i can in whatever way i can figure out and that's how that's how i can take those struggles for him and teach him how to turn it into his superpowers and if i could do that with all my kids man we'll be in good shape yeah. i like it it's got me as you talk and my mind's racing as to how you do that for your own my own parenting ability, you know, that's fantastic. So, is is was Turtle your first um, foster child? No, our first foster children were uh, Deshaun and Janiah, who are still with us. They were um, they were our first foster kids, and they were the first two that we they ended up staying full time, and we adopted them as well. And um, Turtle's going to end up being our second to last adopted kid because our youngest he's a, a year and a half younger than him but we're done he was he probably would have been somewhere around number 19 or 20 I'd, i've lost track over the years and okay. um <laughs> i know we talked with a worker the other day i think she said it was 16 or 18 placements that they gave us we had a couple out of county that i don't know if those were included in that number or not and then we had a couple like unofficial like family type placements you know that so yeah he was probably somewhere around number 20 in the house so we we had fortunately seen lots of things before he got to us because we probably would have been kind of scared with, with everything he needed help with when he first showed up. Yeah. You know, when he showed up, he was terrified of the world. Like, <clears throat> I say that, he didn't show fear. But he wouldn't come anywhere near me. If I called his name, he'd look at, he'd look at you, kind of raise his head, give you the stink eye, cross his arms across his chest, and he'd rotate his body and turn away while he stared at you and then give you his back and look straight away. As if to say, not only am I ignoring you, but I want you to know without a doubt, I'm ignoring you on purpose and I'm doing it with scorn. You know, like, it was like, what the, what 
the hell? Where does that come from? And that was it too. No way. Yeah. Yeah. So like, and we see this stuff and we're like, oh man, we're, we're nervous about this. Like, what does this mean for him? And you see him now and like, it's a whole different kid. Like his, and that's a beauty of what I've seen in the foster care system is if you do this right. And we don't have a lot of experience with older kids, but with young kids, I can say for sure, like the turnarounds I've seen, man, like kids come in some like scared little frightened animals ready to bite because they're so terrified. Right. And then three months, six months, a year and a half later, they leave your house and they look like normal functioning age appropriate kids. It's the most amazing thing I've seen. That's what gives me hope from the human race is the fact that we have this ability to completely rewire our lives. Even as adults, we can do it. It's harder. <laughs> it's a lot harder. We have a lot more struggles to, to overcome. But in that age, to, it doesn't take that much to push a kid in the right direction. Hmm. So what, what, what triggered you and your wife to pursue this then? I mean, you don't get 20 in just because it's something to do. It's, I mean, it's, it's an underlying uh, something <laughs> there for you. You know, when my little little boy Austin was born, I call him my little boy because he's six foot four, 250 pounds or so now. <laughs> he's not so little. But when he was born, my wife hemorrhaged really bad. And, um, you know, the doctor came over with his Russian accent and was talking about a floppy uterus. And, you know, basically what we understood was either we do a partial hysterectomy or you could die. And so we're like, um, yeah, let's, let's go with a not dying option. How about that? And my wife was a type who would have had 12 kids if she could have. Okay. But after that, we couldn't have any more. And we went several years just raising, you know, our older two boys and then our oldest girl who was an unofficial placement because it was a family deal. Um, you know, we had no rights, but, but we had the privilege of raising her for years. And, um, then we got to a place where we thought, you know, my, and my wife had talked about adoption in the past and I was writing a news article, uh, just an opinion piece once it was around this time of year, around Christmas time. And I was writing the article. I went to, to talk to people, but where can you donate some things to people who really need it right now, real local. And I talked to the local children's division office and I walked out of children's division with a handful of pamphlets about how to become a foster parent. And when I came home, my wife was like, um, yeah, we should look at this. And about that time I was listening to a radio program and the guy was talking about, you know, the, the disparity of, of children in need in who don't have homes, who don't have families and the number of churches. I mean, we're on the North end of the Bible belt here in the U S but you know, I live in a little town. I think it's 3,500 people maybe live in this town. And I can count off the top of my head, one, two, three, four, at least five churches. Just at a first thought in my head, like, yeah, like this is the world we live in. And, and the guy on the radio made an interesting stat. He said, if one family out of every third person, or I'm sorry, out of every third church in the U.S. would adopt a kid out of foster care, we would empty the system tomorrow. Oh, really? Right? And that, that's kind of a convicting stat, you know, especially because, see, I grew up in a church that was, was pretty overly conservative and, and somewhat cultish. And, and I, I walked away from it. I was like, I'm out. You people are crazy, right? 
And, you know, that was kind of my 17-year-old self just going, this is not what I want. And I had a lot of reasons to kind of grind an ax against the church. And that was just one more time where I'm like, see, see, you people think you're all good and holy and, and you're not even taking care of the kids, you know. Look at, just read that book. It says, taking care of the widows and orphans time and again, and you're not even doing that. And I had all this thought process running through my mind. And just suddenly this one convicting thought from the voice of reason in my head said, hey, what are you doing, asshole? <laughs> I was like, yeah, okay, I'm going to stop now because I'm not doing anything. As much as I can talk, think horrible thoughts about them, I'm no better. I'm not doing anything. And that was about the time the articles started being written. And next thing you know, we're in a class for, you know, getting trained to do foster care. And it was just something that her and I really thrived at. You know, and I don't know about other places here for foster care, you know, we can have some some restrictions. Like we've always tried to not take any kid older than our youngest kid. It just helps not disrupt birth order. And for a lot of other reasons, it just worked out well. Not to mention that at heart, I am kind of a four-year-old. Ask my wife, she'll tell you. So to get on the four and play with trucks is not, that's not a tough thing for me, right? Like I can identify with a four-year-old pretty easy. And that's, I'm, I'm great with that age range. And so we just, we, we just opened our house and to the, to the system and started taking kids in and I'll tell you, we've had a couple placements that were, that were challenging, but by and large, every one had its pieces that I was like, I learned so much from. And every time we would do it, I would, I would gain so much knowledge and wisdom and perspective. And I mean, toddlers have taught me so much. The first time you sit down at the dinner table and a little, what, three, four-year-old girl folds her hands and says, dear God, thank you that my new mommy and daddy haven't died too. Yeah. Oh my God. Suck the air out of the room. I thought I had a bad day that day, right? Like I was frustrated with work and I'm like, okay, yeah, but your day wasn't that bad. Shut up. <laughs> it's perspective. Like they, they hand you these things just at the most random moments. And you're like, you know, that's been, that's, that's been a decade ago now. And that lesson has stuck with me so strong. Like, all right, when I think I'm having a bad day, I, I know where to go. You know, I know where to go in my head to, to kind of put some of that aside and go, man, your day's not that bad. Let's just deal with it and move on and be thankful for something like, hey, you're not dealing with, with death and disease here. You're not dealing with violence in your home. You're not, you, you know, you got a pretty decent life. Stop whining about the fact that your boss was kind of a jerk today. He might have had a bad day too. And it's that perspective that can free you up then. Absolutely. Because as long as I'm busy focusing on, what's wrong in my life and why I have it so bad. I can't figure out how to make it any better. It's, and, and, I, and that's, I think that right there is, is, is somewhere along the line. I think that's taught to us. Uh, like I, I get, I've spoken to people that have sort of woken up at an earlier age, but for me, it was like 40. Um, but I'm very curious how somebody gets to 40 and never really looks, <laughs> you know, how do you, how do you not look at and, and assess and suddenly turn around to 42, 41, 42 years old and think, bloody hell, even with this perspective you've just given me, right? The way my mind was going at the time was quite dark. And I was, it was like a, I'm going back to my mother looking after me and doing everything for me and providing everything. I don't think it was ever 
or taught to me in school or from anywhere, I had the ability to make or change within my life. It's not, it wasn't something that was, I, I saw. Do you know what I mean? It's, it's being exposed to those people that can, that, that do change and do create change. Same. Yeah. I had a friend of mine, one of the guys that grew up with him, my dad mentored, um, <clears throat> he moved off to another state and, and he really, he, he really flourished. His life is, has start, like he was a kid on the street selling dope running with a gang when he was a teenager. And his life is, if you Google him now, you'll get a picture of him. Not me. <laughs> don't get my picture usually. But you know, if you Google his first and last name, you get a picture of him. He's somebody in his world of work. Right. And, um, he was, he and I were having a discussion when he was home one day and he was trying to, to, to give me a point of, of, of perspective on, on a particular topic. I forget what it was we were even talking about, but and he finally, he kind of stopped. And he said, well, he said, just think about it. He said, because I think I'm wasting my time right at this moment because nobody learns anything until you're ready to, until you're ready to learn it. And maybe this is the right moment to try and to, to try and push this. You know, you learn it when you're ready for that lesson. And he's so right. Like I, I wasn't ready in that moment. In that moment, I'll tell you where I was. My dad was sick with cancer. Um, he just had some strokes and they found stage four cancer. He wasn't doing well. I wasn't in a place to have much for growth. I was, I was scared. I was uncomfortable. I was nervous. You know, my, that was about the time our daughter was first getting sick. Um, I, I was just busy building brick walls. I was in defense mode trying to figure out how to handle all the, all the stuff coming at me. Hmm. I wasn't ready to learn anything in that moment. And I'll say now we probably would have the same discussion and we'd probably get a lot further in it, but I wasn't ready then. And that's the way it is with all of our lives. You know, you try and teach a, a teenager, you know, some of these adult type lessons that, that we haven't learned until we're in our thirties or forties. And, they're just not going to get it. Trust me. I try and I try and hand little pieces of it to teenagers all the time. And I tell them all the time, Hey, I know men who are 50 years old who haven't figured this out yet, man. The younger you figure this out, the further you'll go in life, hmm. you know, but if it doesn't make sense now, we'll talk about it later because you're not going to learn it fully until you're ready. Good perspective. Thank you for that. <laughs> uh, oh. Seriously. That's like, cause I, I used to get, you know, you, you can get you can get curious and you can get frustrated to sort of the same wavelength, but it's whichever way you take it. Frustration usually ends in you going so far one way that you think either you're not going to bother or you're going to drop it, or you have a shift and you think actually, well, what can I do about this frustration? So both both, both things are purposeful. It's just it's different routes. <laughs> yeah, curiosity is such a powerful thing. You know, I, I was having a conversation with uh, with my daughter-in-law today, and and you know that's what I said. She, she was talking about a, a negative interaction she'd had with the doctor's office, and I said, you know, if you go into that same doctor's office and you and you walk in, and you say this is wrong, you know, you could really shake your fist at them, and and they'll probably at some point be like, oh, we're sorry, ma'am, but you got nowhere, right? Or you could walk in and and just say, hey, I had this experience the other day. I'd like to talk about it. I'd like to ask you why this is the way you chose to handle it and ask it with real curiosity and you make them think, and they might not have a great answer for you, but you're going to cause a thought process. You may change a heart for the next 40 years. You know, how many, how many patients 
will you affect by being able to walk in and just be curious? You know, a spirit of kindness and curiosity as opposed to self-righteousness. Because I know, don't know about you. I mean, I don't think anybody else ever feels self-righteous in a moment. But when I, when I get to that place, man, that, that self-righteous version of me, he's a jerk. Yeah. He's an idiot. And everything he says is not helpful for the day. No, it's, yeah, you, yeah. I just talked about this somewhere else. And I would, about imposing your will when you're saying you should and you ought to and all those sorts of words. Imposing your reasoning on others. Uh yeah, just reading it. I was, I was reading something quick to try and reflect on something, and it caught me. I thought, I, I've got aspects of that, and I know when that shows up in other people, it frustrates me. And then the reason it frustrates me is because it's an aspect of myself. <laughs> Isn't that what makes us the most crazy about people when they remind <laughs> us of our own negative attributes? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Especially our kids. <laughs> especially, especially our kids. And that's the greatest, I suppose that's the greatest gift you could ever have because, you know, they, they know precisely how to press your buttons or you perceive it as them pressing your buttons. But, yeah. Anyway, it takes a certain type of mindset to look at it that way. Absolutely. And it's a conscious attempt at a mindset. And that's the thing is, like, I know my knee-jerk reactions, right? <clears throat> I know what my knee-jerk reaction is going to be. And I know it's gonna, my knee-jerk is going to be wrong 99% of the time. So I know, like, like this morning, I mentioned that I got the message from my mom this morning. I got, like, a, like, I read through it. And, like, if I read through it with a voice that I was reading through it with in my head, like, it's text, right? There's no tone. There's no inflection, <laughs> right? So I get to place the tone and inflection on it when I read it. Yep. And like my first knee jerk is, oh, well, that was kind of rude. You know, like I, I could take offense to it. And I, I said, you know, set the phone down, dummy. Walk away. I didn't touch it for like an hour and a half. I went back and reread it, took some time and thought, and you know, I sent her back a, a hopefully well thought out reasoned response, you know, I said, hey, you know, if I made you think I was trying to talk bad about, you know, you and dad, like I apologize if that's what you, what you heard, because that's not what I was trying to say. Right. You know, and, but my knee jerk was not that. No. And I've learned that, you know, my, my four steps uh, to success start with stop. Yep. Just stop right at this moment, whatever you just stop before you react, stop, then shut up. Whatever you do, don't say a word, just stop and shut up. Now engage your brain and think, and don't think about what they said. Don't focus on that. Just think about what do you want out of this? Like, how, how could this best be resolved? And then you can act. You know, if, but if you'll stop, give it some time, close your mouth, don't say anything rash because the first thing out of your mouth is usually wrong. Take some time to think. Let the emotion subside a little bit. Be rational and realize, man, what do I want out of this? Do I want to get, go call my mom and be like, you're wrong, you took me wrong? No, I don't want that. You know, that's what the jerk in me would do, but it wouldn't solve anything. You know, I hey, you know what? She feels like I was offensive. I should probably apologize that she took offense to it, even if I didn't intend it to be offensive. You know, and then, you know, I take that time to realize what it is I need to do to get what I want to get out of the situation, which in this is just a peaceful resolve, right? And then do the thing that's going to get me that. 
And if I can keep those four little things in my mind in every stressful situation, it keeps me from having those knee-jerk reactions that make me be a complete and utter jerk. Because that's where I'll go if I just if I just let my my emotional response take it. Not it's not even a response. You know, it's, it's kind of that difference between the response and the reaction, right? Yeah. The reaction comes out of your amygdala, right? You walk around the corner and your kid jumps up because at four, the funniest thing in the world is to be able to scare dad. So you walk around the corner and he, he's only, you know, he's knees height, right? And he yells and he makes me jump and he thinks it's hilarious, right? But that's the reaction. I jumped. Like, I can't, I can't not, like, just choose I'm not going to jump. That's, that's, that's that amygdala part of the brain going, hey, let's get ready to fight. Something's going to kill you. Let's, let's get ready. You can't change that. But what you can change is your response, right? Like, what are you going to do after that? Am I going to yell at him for scaring me? He thinks it's hilarious. And okay, maybe it kind of was, especially from his point of view. So I can yell at him and be angry because I got scared, or I can just take the time, find the humor in it, and let a four-year-old be a four-year-old, and we can have a great day, and we can play around and have a great day. Or I can get mad and holler and scream at him, and he's going to have a horrible day. And a four-year-old's having a horrible day. You, sir, are having a horrible day, too. You know, so it's it's just that simple. Just have that response and figured out. I, I'm going to respond to my family today. I'm not going to react to them. And that Crazy. takes some intentional time to think about and, and prepare yourself for. But man, it's it's powerful. Yeah, so true. I mean, the, the part of this journey was for myself was to try and improve my relationship with my eldest son because I was living in the reactions of it all. I, I and, and the odd thing is. In, it was only within my home setting was I the reactional person. Everywhere else, I was responsive. Um, to, but it wasn't a healthy responsive. It was shoving the emotion down and suppressing everything. You know, versus, singing my song. <laughs> yeah, I, yeah, I don't. I mean, this is probably a, a lot of people, but um, and what that manifested in in the end it was physical illness. I mean, I did it for so long, but like, I think, and I related to my job because I was like 12 years in this role of suppressing who I was in that environment because I, I didn't, I didn't want to rock the boat. I didn't want to upset anyone. I wasn't looking for confrontation. All these different things that I sort of set my stall up with, things I didn't want to do and ways I didn't want to be. And then life just kept chucking them at me until eventually I had to deal with them. The, the lesson, the lessons grew bigger but over time. And I think that's to be, to be aware that there's a, there's a recurring event or something you're not dealing with, which then shows up maybe a little bit bigger and a little bit bigger. So eventually it's like right in your mush and you've got to deal with it. It's, uh, so, I mean, so what about you then? So you can relate to shoving your emotions deep down oh absolutely you know and i'll go back to you know i i grew up in um i keep coming back to the church setting right but so much of of i think the way that i perceived what i was taught as a kid looked at things like you know emotions were typically bad right like if you had a romantic notion as as a 13 year old boy if you thought of a girl in a any sort of a sexual way it was it was a bad thing and you were going to hell for it and whether that's what they intended to say or not that's what i heard you know if you were angry well you know 
what's the the bible quote if you say raka raka which means fool to your brother you you've you're guilty of murder right and so anger is bad and so and i could go through and all these different emotional responses are all bad except for to say that you know you love god and and then you have to be careful because you might be being prideful about it and at a young age what i heard from all that was just that emotions are bad and i stuffed them and stuffed them and stuffed them and i'm still not very good at it you know i'm still not very good at at, at noticing my own emotions and and dealing with them um i don't know if you're familiar with the enneagram Okay. Well, <clears throat> I recently took the, the Enneagram test and have done a little bit of studying without a doubt, a hardcore type five, the thinker and observer, right? I exchange emotion for data. That's what I do, which gives me a lot of distinct advantages. Um, I was listening to one of the books on audible about it. And the guy says, you know, the people like me, the type fives, we are the Switzerland of the world. Like people will come to you and ask your opinion because they know that you'll give them a thought out, you know, straightforward answer that doesn't have a whole lot to do with their emotion, your emotion. It, it's just, this is what I've taken the time to think up. And this is what I believe to be the answer. And I don't take sides a whole lot. I don't have a whole lot of emotional responses with people because I learned to, to kind of stuff them so much as a young kid. And I imagine that's probably where I learned to be that way. But it's it's been a useful reaction. It's one of the things that, you know, I, again, I can look at, at all the things that, that I, I saw as bad when I got left the church as, as a teenager. And I can look at it now and go, okay, well, there's some benefit I got out of all that. You know, I, I don't have a whole lot of anger issues anymore. You know, since I quit drinking, that, that fixed a lot of that. Um, you know, because that was a whole different ball game. But, you know, I just, I don't have a lot of those issues anymore. I, I used to. I used to just stuff emotion and hide it. It just, it went into a little black box and we wrapped a chain around it in the back of my mind and it just sat there and we just didn't deal with that. But that leads to that whole pressure situation. And then eventually you just kind of explode. It'll be some moment where somebody who doesn't deserve it gets, gets either, either it leaks out in different ways, you know, whether it's a, you know, some sort of disdain for somebody or disgust, or you just, you respond to them real negative, but, not always overtly, but just enough to make you an unpleasant person or you, you, you just let it all go at once. But that, that was kind of, I, I was more the, the first I was, I didn't tend to blow it up all at once, but I would, I would just leak it out all over people. And it was detrimental to my relationships, you know, with my kids, with my wife, with all the people around me. And it wasn't until I learned that, Hey, <laughs> this is what you're doing. I mean, awareness is the first piece, right? You have to know you're screwing up before you can fix it. So what was the trigger piece for that? What was the trigger for the awareness? You know, I'd say the biggest moment I can think of is when I was drinking pretty heavily after we lost our oldest daughter, right? And I was, I was drinking about a fifth of whiskey a night. And that takes away most of your emotions. Um, takes away the, the bad ones first and the good ones second. And you're kind of just left with a little bit of rage and, and anger. It's about the only emotion that can get through. And I remember hearing my, my little girl who, she would have been about 10 years old, I guess. And, and she says to my wife, she says, yeah, dad doesn't really smile anymore, ever. And I was like, wow, she's right. Like I shoved all this into this, this tiny little spot to get rid of it. It's still there. 
it's still all there and it hasn't been dealt with it hasn't been handled i've just been i thought i was putting it aside so i could deal with the 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 emergence of the moment it's so much you know emergency stuff going on you know between my dad's death and then and then arissa getting sick and, and all that and like all the craziness around that the teenage boys i had at the time who you know teen suicide's real and it's dangerous and they were in a bad place my wife was struggling and i don't have time to deal with me I'm just going to shove this all down. I want to hide it with alcohol. I won't feel it if I have enough booze every night. But it was still coming out. I'd gotten really dark. And, uh, you know, because of, of that, I finally, you know, a, a couple different comments was like, oh, wow, that people had made. And, and then that moment when, when my wife was telling me that, I thought, wow, she's right. You know? Without any real feeling at all around it, I could think, she's right, I don't smile. I don't think I have a happiness left in me. And I knew that, I knew that even though we'd been through a tough time, there was still happiness to be found in there somewhere. I just didn't know how to go about finding it. You know, and I don't know if you're familiar with Jordan Peterson or not. Um, but I love one of the things he, he says, you know, I'm going to paraphrase here because I'm terrible with quotes, but basically, you know, the Buddhist had it right. Life is suffering punctuated by brief moments of happiness. So if you're going to survive all this suffering, you damn well better find some meaning in it all. And that's been my mission that I've been on is, is looking for that meaning. Like there's, there's gotta be a way I can change change my life there's got to be a way i can change my kid's life you know no matter what you do you leave a legacy behind you you do you don't have a choice in that whether your legacy is the drunk dad who's emotionally unavailable or the abusive mother or 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 just the amazing philanthropist who who gave millions of dollars to children's hospital to help others you're going to leave a legacy you know you don't get that choice what you're doing today, right now at this moment, you're writing your own obituary. You're writing your obituary today. So get about the business of writing an obituary that you want people to read. It's a powerful exercise. Well, you know, <laughs> I had some powerful people, you know, teach me, teach me some of those lessons that, and honestly, this is the stuff they don't teach you this in school, right? And maybe you're just not ready to, to learn it as at a teenager i mean i don't know about you but at 18 i was kind of an idiot um <laughs> right do you know what this is what cooks my head right what, what what if we were exposed to that information at that age and then we then had the choice with what to do with it but we didn't you didn't i didn't nobody i know uh, granted you're the sum of the five people you spend the most time with and all with and all the rest of it it's only later on you, you, you're able to invest in yourself, to put yourself back in an educational setting where you're humble enough to learn that you can actually learn what you wished you'd learned 20, 30 years ago. <laughs> you know, it's, you know, it just, just cooks my head. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I'm with you, you know, because, and I'll tell you this, my 14-year-old boy, he's heard this story. We've, we've talked about this, and he doesn't get it, you know? I mean, because whatever it is, um, Fortnite or uh, whatever video game is popular at the moment, I don't think it's that one anymore, but um, 
you know, that's the most important thing, right? But I'm planting seeds. I was going to sing seeds. Yeah. I'm planting seeds. That, that'll come back. He'll be, he'll be 17, 18 years old or 21 or, or 30 years old. Somewhere along the line, that'll come back. You know, he was there in that moment. He got to hear it. It's planted. It's a, it's a little bitty seed. It's grown in the back of his mind. And hopefully it'll, it'll, that seed will germinate and, and bear fruit sooner than later. But my kids get to hear that all the time because I didn't get to hear that when I was young. It just wasn't what people were talking about at the time. Yeah. You know, but it, like I said before, we live in an amazing moment in time where with the, the access to information and people that we have is just so, so mind blowing compared to, I mean, I remember when like you knew your neighbors, maybe the kid a couple blocks over, it's about as far as your, your sphere of influence went and came from, you know, the, the phone was mounted to the wall and you talked in the kitchen cause mom didn't let you take that phone somewhere else. There was no, you know, that all, it was such a small and it had its benefits, you know, living in that smaller circle, but, but now there's the ability to take that, that big circle, that vast amount of knowledge that this whole internet thing that's, you know, almost incomprehensible when you think about all of it and find the pieces that, that will make your life different. And we have that available to us. Our parents' generation did not, you know, they had the people they were raised around. That's it. We have so much ability to change our lives. And, And because, you know, I've got seven kids, right? How many grandkids I'll have? I don't know. But you take those kids and figure out the next generation, right? Like I have the ability to influence in three generations, a huge number of kids. Like I can change a large piece of society. You start figuring in, you know, 20 foster kids on top of that. Like, like my, my, the wake that stays behind my boat of life is getting bigger and bigger. I have the ability to change a hundred years from now, things that I'll never be around to see. If I'm willing to live my life with that obituary in mind. I, I got the, I got the same. I got my obituary in my, in my journal and I read it right on. <laughs> you know, when I, I wrote my obituary, uh, when I was doing a mastermind course and they all laughed at me cause I was like down to the minute of, and the day and the time. And I'm like, Hey man, I, I have to like really focus hard to, cause I've got this whole thing. Like I'm not great with the thought and subject of death. Like my mind just pushes that away and I, I don't grasp that real well. I had to get like a concrete moment. You know, I think I decided I was going to live to be like 86 or something. I picked an old age. <laughs> My family genetics do not say that's going to happen. <laughs> but I, I picked an old age. I'm like, this This is the moment. And this is exactly what happens. And, you know, because, you know, the thing is, is you're going to die. Whether the doctor tells you that, you know, along with some big, long, nasty name of a cancer and says two months or, you know, it's on the front of a Mack truck that comes by and gets you as you're going down the highway. Or maybe it's peacefully in your sleep at 99 years old. Like, you're going to die. We all are. And if you can live with that ending in mind and realize that the only person who gets to make those choices is you. Like, that's your power. Like, I don't care what Superman could do. I don't get to fly, right? But I can change lives. I can change the future. And that's my goal. You know, that's why, that's why this podcast thing, I look at it and go, Hey, you know what? If this turns into something, if, if I could, if I could move 
the the number of kids who go from being in foster care to being reunited with a family who's straightened their stuff up and taking care of them, if I could move that number one percent, that's that's probably thousands of lives affected in the next ten twenty years. Like it's it doesn't take much to move that needle a big a big amount. When you start figuring that generations out, man, you've changed the world. Absolutely, and that's 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 massive when you put it in that context. So what what this change you're trying to bring in? What what spe- what specifically do you feel is missing right now from from the system or? To, to complete the loop that you want to see? What's, what's missing from that? Well, what I see right now is a lot of people who who say can't win, don't try because of what they see around them, right? And without having, without having some clear-cut examples from people who are willing to be open and vulnerable and tell their story and say, hey, look at this, you can make the difference. And let me, let me, let me come alongside you and help you. That's part of the reason why I think, you know, some sort of, of group that involves some people who've made it through the system successfully as leaders would be the most powerful thing because to have somebody come, it's kind of the way like AA works, right? You guys have AA over there? Yeah. Okay. Um, it's kind of the way that works. You know, you get, you get a spot, right? And when you want to drink, man, you pick up a phone you're like, man, it's bad. Right. And you got somebody to say, dude, I've been there. I've been there. I've been sitting in that seat. I've had, I've wanted to reach for that bottle so bad, but let me tell you what happened the one time that I broke and I had to start all over again. Like, you know, here's, you know, and just to step in and stand alongside you and say, lean on me a little bit. You can do this. Like you believe, do you believe the drunk, the alcoholic, when he tells you, man, I made it through and I get how bad it is. But I'm, I'll come alongside you and I'll walk with you. But what most of these families have is society telling them, look, you got a drug problem because you're an addict and you don't need to have kids in your house. You got an anger problem. You beat your kids. You didn't feed your kids. You got a problem. You're a bad person. And we hope you rot in hell. And that's the message they get from society. And so rather than just pointing fingers and telling them how bad they are, how about we try and find the people who are willing to be built up and turn them into amazing people? Because those are the, you know, again, I, I go back to religion a lot of times because I, I grew up with so many of the stories. But, you know, if you look at the apostles that, that Jesus chose, right? Like, he got some ruffians in that group, right? Yeah. You know, they, they weren't like, they weren't holy men of God in, in, their, in their culture. He got some ruffians in that group because those are the people that the people could relate to. Those are the people who, who we, they would go, oh, hey, wasn't this a guy who was like, like killing Christians three months ago when I saw him? And now he says he's one of them? What's going on with that? You know, he, he was somebody who'd been through their struggles. And that's what we need. We need people who, who can come alongside and say, hey, man, you th- I get it. Like, like you've screwed up your life in some ways. But there's tomorrow. Tomorrow doesn't have to be yesterday. And I can show you how because I did it. And I think that's a piece that's missing. We just don't have people coming alongside and helping somebody get to that next level. And I'd love to be able to facilitate that change because 
if that can happen, more kids go back home. More kids go back to parents who love them. And I've sat on my front porch with a little six-year-old girl with her little blonde hair looking up at me. And she says, you know, you know, I appreciate you everything you guys do for me. I really do. But I really wish my mom and dad would just would just do the right thing so they could take care of me like they're supposed to. Like with tears in her eyes streaming down her face and like the pain that, that she was in at the moment. I was like, I wish I could give you an answer, baby. You know, I, I don't have it, you know. That's the change that could be that could make all the difference. Because like I said before, that one life, that one life ain't one life. You go three generations down the road, how many lives is that? Everybody that they affect. You know, my own little twelve year old girl has, has already said, you know, that she wants to she wants to have foster kids when she gets older. She wants to help kids out. Right? Okay. So if if she grows up and, and decides to take kids in and, and you can take the number of kids we've got and double it, that just doubled the size of, of the legacy I can leave behind me. Like like you change the world twice as much just right there. And all you have to do is something. Is the podcast going to change the world? Hell, I don't know. I got a blog. Do you think that's going to change the world? Probably not. But you never know when that that one line hits at the right place for the right person who's at the right moment to hear it. Because that's the only reason I'm not drinking anymore. My wife said the right thing at the right moment, and I was ready to hear it. That's all it takes. It's that one connection. There's, what, six bazillion people in the world? If one of them hears the right thing at the right time, you know, what changes can you make? I'll never know about most of it. No. And that's, that's the thing with podcasting. Yeah, even if you walk down the line of what, you know, what will you be seeing, hearing, and feeling, you're never going to know the, your true impact on the world because you're never going to be able to communicate directly with that person. And they may never realize what you've done for them. Absolutely. You know, yeah. and I've learned like a lot of the YouTube comments on some of the guys who, who you know, podcast via YouTube or, or uh, you know, or have channels where they, they talk to on basically, basically give a, a, a podcast on YouTube and, and the comments on there because YouTube comments are so prolific, you know, the number of times I've read, you know, dude, I think you saved my life. Like, like that's a power your voice has. It's, and that's nothing more than a little bit of video and some audio running across the, the, the airwaves, you know, through the internet is you'll never know, but you have that power. You yeah. hold somebody's life in your hand today, potentially. Uh, absolutely. mate. And uh, that's, that's my pure intent for this. It's like to allow other people to spread their message in, in the hope that it falls on the right ears. I mean, it, it might be someone that listens to this, that listens to, do you know I mean? That connects somebody else, that refers them to your show. It's, it's crazy how this works, but it's something at work that will allow that to fall somewhere it needs to. Absolutely. You uh, know, there, there, there's a post on Facebook that went kind of, kind of gone viral. I don't know if it showed up over there or not, but um, it was a post with a, it was a picture of a package of ramen noodles, raw, raw ramen noodle package sitting on the plate. I don't know if you guys have seen that there, but, um, it was a, a woman talking about her 
foster or actually she adopted there he's adopted but her son was was sitting there eating a package of raw ramen noodles one day and she's like what what are you doing and he, he starts telling a story you know how every now and then it just it reminds me of the old days where kind of where i came from and and he tells her the story about how at six years old his family was all passed out and you know it was not a an uncommon thing for him to go out rummage through the car and find some pocket change that had fallen in the seats and then at six he would walk down to the store buy one package of ramen noodles and come home because he didn't know how to cook them. He'd sit there and feed his two younger siblings uncooked ramen noodles. And that was where he came from. And it was, it was kind of a, she had a beautiful way of putting it. My, my retelling is horrible. Um, but if you look up, I think the Facebook page is barren to blessed is the name of it. And it, it's kind of gone viral. She was, I think they, they had something about her on good morning America and a couple of the places. Um, you know, and it happened across my wife's Facebook feed and she posted it to our Facebook page and she's like, you, you should read this. And I did. And I'm like, wow, that's powerful. Right. So I contacted the page and she sent me over to her cousin whose story, who had written the story was her cousin's story. And, um, so come to find out this afternoon here in a few hours, I'm going to interview her. She's just, she lives four miles down the road right over here, you know, in the same state as I'm at. And, um, so I'm going to interview her. Turns out her cousin who runs the page is also a foster and adoptive parent um, who works in the foster care system. And she would be more than happy to talk. Um, they had another friend who that pointed me towards. And I posted something about it on, on one of the Facebook pages I'm a part of. And suddenly I'm scheduled out for about three months with, with interviews, right? Awesome. Like you, you just never know where that one little piece is going to change the whole world. I think you're. I think you're. In, you're, in, you're well underway, Jace. You know, this is a, it's a, it's a powerful topic too. Wow, and and that's the importance of it is is like obviously there in my mind, and so I really hope that uh, that somewhere down the road we can we can make a big difference. You know, and if not, if not, if it falls short and it turns into something else, well that's what happens but along the line i'm certain there will be something that uh there'll be something that impacts somebody's life definitely definitely okay man well i don't want to hog your your whole evening i know you've got to prep for your next call and stuff um <laughs> yeah and i've got my, my son and his daughter are home for the holidays um they live down in tennessee here a few hours away so they came up and i've got a little one who should be waking up from a nap right over there in just a few moments. <laughs> and no yeah, it's, it's been a crazy house this weekend. So <laughs> full of fun and full of love. Happy days. Well, some of that, but I have a four and a six year old in the middle of it and two teenagers. So it's not always full of love, <laughs> but we, we make the best out of it that we can because you know, that's what it is. Life is messy. Absolutely. I, I, I got two teenagers. I know that's cool. <laughs> <laughs> okay, yeah, you just learn to enjoy your mess, right? That's what we have. Absolutely. Yeah, so true. So true. Well, thank you for coming on. appreciate you coming on and sharing your story. Uh, I'm sure we'll stay in touch. And you you good with me uh, posting this maybe on video content as well as audio? Yeah, sure. That's fine. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> you know, I... I sent somebody a text the other day. I was trying to get a hold of him and, and I sent it to the wrong number. Apparently they changed your phone number and he's like, this is who Jason who? And I'm like, it's Palmer. And, and you know, the dead edge Alliance is the, one of the groups. I'm in. I'm like, it's Palmer from the, you know, the DEA, you know, big guy, <laughs> big beard, 
devastatingly handsome. <laughs> some poor Canadian dude got this text and he's totally weird. Cause I didn't realize it was the wrong. So I called him I'm like, Hey dude. And he's like, Oh man, I, I, you, you got the wrong number, man. <laughs> you probably want to get off here. This is costing me a lot of money. <laughs> I was like, some guy thinks that Palmer from the DEA is trying to get a hold of him. <laughs> oh my god, that's priceless. And he thinks I, I believe I'm devastatingly handsome at the same time. <laughs> uh, that's classic. I, I, I think that's great. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, just, I don't care. How, wherever you want to use it, man, I'm good with it. No worries. I'll uh, and I'll and I'll share the file back to yourself for uh, your own your own uses as well. Awesome. I appreciate it, man. Man, I appreciate you, his brother, and uh, keep doing what you're doing, because uh, it's making a massive positive influence in the world, and I'm going to look forward to following your journey. All right, Joel, I really appreciate it. I'll see you soon. All right, man. Talk All to the you best, soon. man. Bye. Bye. So thank you for listening today. I hope you enjoyed it. My name is Joel Ingram, and I am a certified NLP coach. I help passionate, resourceful, and professional people who feel stuck and unfulfilled with aspects of life to rewrite their narrative and chronicle a new, engaging, and captivating future. Please subscribe if you found benefit. Cheers, Jace. Yep. Top man. Thank you very much. Oh are you, yeah. Are you okay to share the the begin for me to share the beginning bit where we just sort of go into it? Oh yeah, that's fine. That's fine. Yeah. Cool. Okay. Yeah. Like I said, I've I've already made my mom upset if she gets if she stumbles across this and she gets upset again. I'll just deal with it. We'll be okay. We'll be okay. Uh, it's, it's yeah, I know it's not easy. I, I'm going to think of find my stuff because she doesn't take. Well, even when I'm giving her facts about how I felt when I was a kid, she takes it as a person on a front. Whereas it's, I'm good. I'm good with it. I'm just I'm just telling her how I felt, but then she's like, tells me how I didn't feel and stuff. So, yeah, and how you should feel. Yeah, which and, I love. Hey, you know, <laughs> back back in the day when I was twelve, I don't think I always felt the way I should. I think I was kind of a messed up kid sometimes, <laughs> just because I was a messed up kid, like we all were. So you know, just you know, I'm not saying that you're the fault, mom. I'm saying that I was kind of a messed up kid, yeah. and part of that's just that's just life, man. That's just life, and we'll all get along and be just fine. You know, don't take it personally. Absolutely, absolutely. I got the same message. Okay, brother. Thank you very much. All right, man. We'll see you soon, Joel. Love to your family. Merry Christmas and a prosperous New Year, too. The same to you guys. I appreciate you having me back on. No worries, man. We stay in touch. All right. Take care. Cheers, Jason. Uh huh. Ciao, mate.